are grey and dreary, and the nights are drawing in. There's a place that's gay and cheery where they'll take you for a spin. So come on, forget your trouble, keep your eyes on the skies above. You can always have it. And welcome to the Female Pilot Club podcast. If you don't know us, we're a plucky band of lumpy jumpers helping female written sitcom scripts take off and fly against the almost insurmountable odds of the TV commissioning system. And if you do know us, we're like those awful aunties who come round your house and stay too long whilst eating all your favourite biscuits and asking really intrusive personal questions. I hate it when I do that. Anyway, I'm Wing Commander Kay Stonham, and co-piloting today is proud mum, Captain Emily Chase. Emily, is the scaly brat doing any activities yet? Well, as you are. All right, don't brag about it, Emily. God, talk about pushy mothers, eh? I can only apologise to our guest today, writer and stand-up Ruby Carr. Hello, Ruby. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Now, Ruby is, not in her own words, an insufferably delightful high-energy comedian and winner of the Funny Women Comedy Writing Award 2022. She was also named a Funny Women Stage Award One to Watch in 2021, and her comedy pilot was listed in the top 10 for 2021 Voices of the Future scheme. Ruby has also been a semi-finalist for South Coast Comedian of the Year 2021, a finalist for Amused Moose New Act of the Year 2019, a semi-finalist for Jason Manford's New Act of the Year 2019, and a semi-finalist for Laughing Horse New Act of the Year 2018. Blimey, I mean, I think congratulations might be in order. <laughs> you are the queen of the competitions, Ruby. <laughs> oh, horrible. I hate them so much. <laughs> so well, you're sorry. doing well at that. Somebody who hates <laughs> them. <Something> you hate. <laughs> We at Female Pilot Club know all about your award-winning mockumentary about magicians, but people on the home front, hoping for a sniff of lumpy jumper content, don't. So, can you do for them what we call a parachute pitch of your show? The scenario is, the plane is going up in flames, there's only one parachute, which you're wearing, but as you leave the plane, the commissioning editor of Disney Plus jumps out and grabs onto your legs. Obviously, this is a Disney Plus commissioner, so you'll have to stress how the show will contribute to a brave new world where princesses can look however they want, as long as it's fine by the merchandising department. So, speed is of the essence. Ruby, are you ready? Okay, yes. Pitch. Um, so, uh, this is a mockumentary about the failing lives of party magicians. In this world, magicians are the scourge of society. Society, um, but we follow Sammy, who is the epitome of a Labrador retriever boy, just doing his best to try and pay his rent by doing what he loves, which is trying to make uh, every party special. However, he just gets deeper and deeper into trouble the harder he tries. Well, we'd probably most definitely commission that, but Funny Women got there first and gave it their best script award. So congratulations on that amazing achievement. Now, most people say, write about what they know. So we're dying to know, <laughs> was the mockumentary about magicians something that was based on personal experience in the world of magic? We're also dying to know, what's up your sleeve? Did you get it? <laughs> magician's joke. So why don't you sit down, take the weight of your wand, pull up a glittery stall and prepare to break the sacred confidence of the magic circle. Chin, chin, pip, pip, last one strapped in, does the bubble dancing. (laughs) (laughs) So all joking aside, Ruby, have you waved the magic wand for a living? 
I have not uh, waved the magic wand for a living, but I was a children's party entertainer for like two years. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh um, my god! I know. Tell us your worst story. Well, it was, it was fine. I I I was a party fairy, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so I beautiful. It yeah. was mainly my job was I came into the party and was just distracting the children from the parents. So they so getting them to play games and things while the parents could all have a nice chat in the kitchen and not feel so uh, focused on. I, I'm six foot, for the listeners, they don't know, I'm very tall. And so a lot of the little boys would come up to me being like, you're too big to be a fairy. I know. And I'm I'd, very fairiest. They're very mean. And I'd be like, well, it's because actually normally I'm about this big, like a um, three inches, but I did a magic spell to be the same height as you, but I got my maths wrong. Ah, now go play a game. <laughs> Great line. Uh, I'm I quite like you to be at one of my parties, not for the kids, just for me. I know. Sounds pretty good to me. That is kind of a magician's trick. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. To uh, persuade the children that you are magical. <laughs> but uh, it, the reason my um, friends enjoy that I've written a script about magicians is that I actually hugely distrust magicians. <laughs> Why? I don't. I don't like them. I, we've been like... I've been in places before where like a street magician will come out and like come and do a trick on you. And I don't like the fact that they're trying to trick me. So whenever they go, oh, look over here at this hand, I'm always looking at the other hand. I'm always trying to catch them out. Um, so I distrust them. Sneaky. So, yeah. Have you seen the film The Prestige? No, I haven't. Oh, good... see it. Okay. It's going to confirm all your worst fears about yeah. magicians. I really hope what happens in that is not true because <laughs> it really is quite bad about magicians. Oh, goodness. And I quite like them. So, you know, I hope it's not... Especially close-up magic. You've got to have, like, close-up magic at a party. Yeah, but... I think that's why I had to lo- I had to write this character who would be lovable despite the fact that I'm like I don't like magicians. Every other magician character in it is not I'm like well, bad magician. Have you got um, anyone like Paul Daniels? <laughs> that is a bad magician. <laughs> no, yeah, I had to watch a lot of magician tricks on YouTube because I wanted to string in real ma- like things that would happen that he would yeah. do. So I had to watch a lot of clips and I'd be like oh, this person's so annoying, <laughs> which is really bad. But um no, yeah, I had to, I think, coming from an angle of being like, I don't like, <laughs> I'm like, I wouldn't enjoy this person to make me like them and think they're lovable and charming. That, that was like part of their charm and love that uh, I had to go so against what I think. But yeah. Um, Great way to write something funny, I think, isn't it? To try yeah. and write something that you hate as a comedy as a comedy <laughs> yeah. character. I think it's a good technique. Yeah, very good. So just to go back to the award that you won for Funny Women, um, for, for anyone in the audience or our listeners who, who don't know about Funny Women, could you just tell us a bit about them? Yeah, so um, Funny Women is an organisation that, well, it was used to be in the UK, but now it's very much global, um, that uh, creates uh, opportunities for women within uh, comedy. So creates opportunities for women in comedy, um, which is often... Well, uh, for the longest time, was a male-dominated industry, uh, and uh, allows so yeah, creates networking uh, events, and they do showcases. So I used to do their gig in London. That was called uh, Time of the Month, which I think is still running. But that was so much fun, and it was a great place to meet other female comics. And uh, uh, you know. so you were associated with them for quite a few years. Yeah, and um, then this was the first thing I entered for their script writing 
for something different. So they, I mainly knew them from stand-up side, but they also do for, um, obviously they have the script writing award and the content award, so social media stuff. And they had an industry award this year. So some people who work within the industry. So they really cover across all branches of the comedy industry. Wow. So the first time that you'd entered any kind of writing award for them and you won. <laughs> that is an amazing achievement. It was... Um, uh, no, yeah, it was, uh, it was a very strange experience. I'll tell you that. <laughs> was it the first thing you'd written, Ruby, as well as the first thing you'd entered for the Comedy Ooh. Women Award? It was my first TV script I'd written. So, um, yeah, it was. I've I've been sitting on this idea for like four years, but never felt confident enough, or like I was, like I was allowed to write it, like I should, because I didn't study writing. Um, I didn't. Uh, it's not, it's never been my strength at school. So I'm, I'm dyslexic. And uh, so at school, I wasn't made to feel that I was good at writing. But I always loved this idea. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to give it a good go. Previously, I had done some play, um, some, um, so I worked in theatre. And so I'd done theatre making. And quite often when I, I wanted to make stories, that's why I do stand up and I like writing scripts. But I always shied away from the writing element. And I would like, uh, improvise it with a sorry I move a lot <laughs> but I would improvise it with a group or I would um uh yeah devise it with them and get and write short sections as I go but this was the first one where I had to sit down and just get it all out of me so that was a strange experience <laughs> brilliant brilliant so what was it like once you'd won the competition did it open lots of doors has it brought any opportunities for the script yeah it's been great very strange because it's the biggest thing it's given me is this confidence and knowing that I can do it that I can and I should like if this has happened then I should run for it and so I'm I'm sure you know how horrible I hate doing it even hearing my bio at the beginning writing emails telling people hey listen to me pick me to do something I hate doing them but uh I've done a lot over the last month and then getting lovely emails back or having little meetings have been really nice um and now it's very much I I, I quit my day job <gasps> wow crazy what was your day job I was a, a TA a teaching assistant so I was uh working with children who also had dyslexia and other additional needs and I was like yay empathy I really enjoyed doing that job but I felt like I've given myself a risk of I'm gonna give myself a couple of months to try and live as cheaply as I can but to write as much as I can and create things and push it out to people and then evaluate in the new year. So I've given my day in, a day in January where I evaluate what do I need to do now. Good for you. Brilliant. So, yeah. Talking <laughs> of dyslexia, I mean, you know, loads of writers are dyslexic. Yes. Okay. Loads of writers. I'm a bit dyslexic myself. <laughs> I, I didn't really know, but, you know, I just thought I couldn't spell for shit. But actually, it turns out that my daughter was diagnosed with dyslexia. I thought, oh, that's what's wrong with me. Yeah. Not, I mean, you know, it's not a thing that, that should deter you from doing anything, is it? Obviously. Yeah. I, no, and um, there's now, uh, well, there's a friend of mine who, uh, we, we set each other deadlines now, we send each other deadlines, who she also has a similar story of struggling with writing at school, but she has a great idea, and I'm bullying her into writing it as well. <laughs> I'm going to get it done. <laughs> so. Brilliant, brilliant. So when you do your writing, do you have like a creative process that you follow, or is it something that you just do differently every time? I feel so... I find the best places where I get ideas, the kind of mode I have to be in, I need to, I need instrumental music <laughs> in headphones. Um, Cause if I have any, 
yeah to help me tune thoughts and then doing like a really mundane task like if I'm pairing my socks or doing the washing up or just tidying and then my brain will like go off somewhere and that'll give me the idea but then the act of writing I've started something which a friend recommended to me which is called the scary hour which is you set yourself an hour where you have to do that thing but it's only an hour so rather than so I hate it when I have it's actually bad for me if I have a whole day to write something where you're like, oh, I've got all day. There's nothing I'm doing today. I'll, I'll say, right, because I'll spend all day waiting until the next hour to do it. I'll be like, oh, no, I'll do it later. Oh, no, I don't need to do it now. But if I go, no, 11 a.m. to 12 to midday, you have to sit down and write. But then after midday, you can do whatever you want. That's like my best way to work. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, now pull everything away. This, it's like having a lesson, a school lesson, being back in an English class, being like, this is the hour where you have to do it. <laughs> so when you're actually initially coming up with the ideas, you have to, you have to be distracted. You have to have your music on. You yeah. have to be doing something else. And yeah. then, then they come through. Yeah. Because you know how some people say, oh, I just lie in the bath and I just lie there and then I think about everything, but they're not doing anything else. For you, it's like, oh, no, actually, I have to be distracted by something else. Yeah, they seem to, they'll creep up on you. Otherwise, I'll think, um, I'll, yeah, I'll just start planning everything because everything, I'll, uh, yeah, to get my brain empty. It was like when you do something really mundane, like if you're on a bus journey, you're on forever, you do all the time. Or I used to cycle a lot around London. When I was cycling, that's when I get an idea, which is really unhandy because you can't, you have to quickly stop and get your phone out and write it down, which is not very safe on the streets of London. But um, yeah, something that, uh, what's it called muscle memory you know when you just you just go through the actions yeah and yeah, you're no longer yeah, yeah. and so that kind of like it's almost like meditating but productive meditating did you ever get an idea about a cyclist who was riding along and then got an idea for a sitcom and stopped but like rode into someone <laughs> great rom-com that'd be great oh my goodness <laughs> i think Kay's just got cycling traumas in her head like, her always got cycling traumas in my head. i used to get all my ideas while walking the dog actually that yeah that's what my dad does classic, <laughs> classic place to get ideas walking the dog it's really yeah when i used to live with cindy that was our dog uh that was also very helpful yeah i love that you just dropped her in like we all knew who she was yeah, yeah classic you know cindy yeah, obviously we all know yeah. cindy you mentioned your dad and actually you did a show with your dad didn't you so um, the uh, fun little tidbit fact about me and my stand-up is that the same like month that I started stand-up, my dad also started stand-up, but we didn't tell each other. <laughs> like I did my first gig, he signed up to a course, and then a little while later I was like, um, Dad, I've actually started stand-up. And he was like, oh, me too. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, Dad, get off the bandwagon. I know, but he's um he's much loved within the comedy circuit. People adore him because he's really? what's he's, his name? It's called Leslie Carr. He's absolutely oh, love that he's had. I a adore drop. him. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but um, no, he he really um he really enjoys doing stand up, and it's really it was really uh it's really nice seeing him do it. He uh, MCs a new comedian like a new comedy night called rising star and he um just gigs around the south coast occasion like he does that but he came up to we've been going up to edinburgh fringe festival since i was like eight because my dad runs a web science conference at the same time in edinburgh so he plans it so it coincides so he he can go to the previews and he can take all the people who come around the world for this web science conference to shows and because he's loved comedy so i've been going up so we've been going up the longest time and then he saw me do two Edinburgh's and he said to me he really wants to do an Edinburgh one year and I was like well the first show you do as a stand-up is a split bill and 
the first person for you to share the stage with would be me. That would that would sell so well. Think about the marketing, father daughter duo. Only well, will because it's not common. No, so um, there's a lot of uh, mothers and sons. There's like Russell Russell Howard and Ramesh Ranganathan, uh, Jack Howard and his dad, but not many. But for us, and we're doing it live. And my dad does do stand up. Look, we all know that Edinburgh shows are expensive. Was it just a case of you going, Dad? <laughs> I want to do an Edinburgh show, you know. Wouldn't you like to do an Edinburgh show and pay for it for me? Well, I mean, that's what's coming to my mind. Not quite. It was more like uh, my dad saying to his work, um, going, work, uh, we're going to do a show based on my subject that I teach. Would you like to fund this as a project because we're doing public engagement with science? Even cleverer. I know. So we wrote a whole show about artificial intelligence and AI and about it and, um, and like a perspective on it. Like how do you raise a good child versus how do you raise a good AI, a good robot? And so because we made about that and it was part of his subject and part of his work and public engagement, university funded it. Bam, I'm a genius. Ooh, really are. <laughs> wow. So that's your dad licking off his work and you licking off your dad. Precisely. Oh. I mean, I did do a lot Dreamy. of work to make that show happen. <laughs> I was the producer. <laughs> did, I, I, lots of meetings I had calling my dad, being like, get on it, rehearse your lines. I was a very mean producer director. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, seriously, though, doing an Edinburgh show is so expensive, isn't it? And a lot of people can't do it nowadays. So that was, you know, that was a great technique for getting one done. Yeah, it was yeah very handy. Uh, just had to write had to write on his subject and create a show for that. Ship, ship, ship so for series two of the Female Pilot Club podcast, we have a sponsor. It's Blue Cat Screenplay Competition, who for over twenty five years have been discovering and developing storytellers with their annual screenplay competition. It was founded by a writer who has a passion for discovering new talent. Just like us at Female Pilot Club. Indeed. Now, Blue Cat has always hosted a blind competition. So everyone's in blindfolds. No, that will be ridiculous, Emily. What it means is that no demographic data is shared, which ensures that winners are chosen based solely on their scripts and nothing else. Okay, that seems fair. So what kind of scripts do they want? Well, they want feature films, they want TV pilots, and they want shorts. And the great thing is that readers ensure each submission receives constructive feedback. So you definitely know that your script's been read and you can improve your script after the competition. So what do you get if you win it? Well, you get cash, first and foremost, but also winners and finalists have been signed by talent agencies like UTA, CAA and WME, and they sold their work to major studios. So if you're keen to hear more, head to bluecatscreenplay.com to learn about their upcoming competition. Ship, ship, ship it There's loads of stuff within AI that I find really interesting. And my dad has a great perspective on it as well as a professor of it. So what's your best AI joke? Oh, Oh, no, now I'm going to do one of my dad's jokes because <laughs> it's, it's, he had the best one. Which <laughs> if, was... you, if you hadn't told us, we wouldn't have known, to be fair. I know, so, but I can't. You, know, I you shocked to... yourself there. Oh, wait, how did he say it? Oh, I heard it every day for a month. What was it? It was, um... It's like how Isaac Newton discovered gravity um, because of a falling apple, or at least that's what he told his science he mates to explain why he was in the garden being banged by a pink lady. <laughs> <laughs> anyway thanks dad if you're available you know we'll get you on the next podcast yeah yeah you're very welcome so just going in terms of your writing mm. obviously you've you've done that stuff with your dad and you've you've written this mockumentary but at the moment is it primarily writing for your stand-up that you're doing or are you writing other things like 
more like the mockumentary. So at the moment, I would like to say, I think I've spread myself thin, but like in the best way, because mm. of, because of, um, as I said, making the move to leave my job for a bit and yeah. to give myself as much time as possible. I've, um, so there's, I'm pushing forward with the mockumentary with um, some opportunities that have come. And then I've, uh, I'm working on the uh, opening scene and like the Bible for another TV show idea I have. Then um, I've got this, I've got a couple of like Excel spreadsheets on my phone ready of uh, long like sketches ideas and Instagram reels as well. If I don't know if that counts as writing. (laughs) Yeah. um, So uh, short and uh, so those are the sketches, the reels, the other TV show idea. Yeah, you only had to say TikTok videos and you'd have had me completely. I, I know. Well, my plan is to make an advent calendar of Instagram <laughs> reels and TikTok videos. Brilliant. So. Oh, you're covering all the bases. Yes. <laughs> but you're still doing stand-up. That's also yeah. you know, prior to your, your um, primary goal, yeah? I feel like it's duality now. Oh, yeah. I, um, like you just uh, want to be open to it all really and see where it takes you yeah as long as I'm telling stories then I'm a happy Larry (laughs) so we wanted to ask you because we've heard from some women who do stand up that Mm. you know they have some extra challenges that the male comedians don't face you know some of the nastier stuff that you know Mm. ranges from like I don't know nasty comments from the audience yeah really bad stuff like assaults you know problems of having to go home late at night how have you found it as a as a woman in the stand-up world I think so yeah there's lots of horrible stories out there and um lots of bad things can happen it's just the like it's the environment and uh while there's lots of things being done to adapt the environment and make it better you know these things still happen uh personally so one of my one thing that me and like my group of friends do is that very much when we meet a new female comedian and they're like oh you're new we like we give them the lowdown we're like welcome to the gang (laughs) this is these are all of our favorite nights that we love to do message them we'll also put in a good word uh you can uh here are some brilliant people you should look out for and like give them all like the good news and some of the bad points um but mainly we want to keep it positive because we we like it it's good fun um i know yeah lots of people have had um horrible stories uh I've been I feel like I've been very fortunate in that uh I think number one I try and avoid places which I know have maybe audiences who uh maybe just aren't my audience or uh have a different way of interacting with the acts or whatever I try and avoid those nights uh very few times I've been heckled talk very carefully about this because I don't want to diminish anyone else's experience or say that other people aren't good at handling these things because but I've always been quite good at dealing with hecklers or if there's a ruder person in the audience or if there's a ruder person in the green room I've always been quite good at dealing with it and I think part of that is from five years of working in hospitality I've dealt with drunkards (laughs) I've dealt I've spent a year working in a school so I've dealt with teenagers and their moods yeah so you're kind uh, of unshockable yeah in a way uh, I'm also 
a six foot woman who's got broad shoulders and I know I can pick up most people (laughs) I can like there's I have this weird arrogance in my head when if anyone I have quite a lot of videos on my Instagram of me just shouting at men (laughs) like not mean like not oh that sounds awful I've now reheard that sentence in my head I just mean like men in my audience being like what are you doing (laughs) and they're like I'm sorry and I'm like you better be (laughs) and I always check in with them afterwards being like you okay no it's think because I usually start off my set by saying I'm insufferably delightful and my presence on stage is very sweet and nice and then I talk about silly things and like the juxtaposition there I think often whenever there is a heckler you need everyone in the room to not like that heckler you need everyone in the room to not like that person um before you go in on them Mm -hmm. but because I'm already very sweet if anyone goes I don't like this usually the audience is like hey don't say that about the nice big lady yeah I've just always I've got this weird amount of confidence where if someone says something stupid I will pick up on it and point it out I love that yeah I think that's amazing yeah so the so the advice really is just like you know face them down be confident that's the thing I wouldn't I wouldn't take no shit don't well also don't put yourself in a position you don't feel you don't feel comfortable doing if you don't feel yeah and if anyone's ever in agreement with me and they don't feel comfortable about something you're very happy come and tell me and I'll deal with it uh and again in my fair share I've kicked out lots of people both like gigs and <laughs> carried them out I carried them out uh never quite had to do that but I have for fun I've got this party trick where I can lift people with my neck um <laughs> I'm sorry how does that happen so you know the lift that people do when they're carrying a bride through um the door for the first time where they're like yeah turn so now rather than hooked underneath their knees and legs going over I'm now they jump up into a ball and I grab them like all the way around like hugging them like another an exercise ball and then they hold onto my neck and then while they're holding onto my neck I let go so at this point so they're just hanging from my neck they- like a necklace it's a great trick. <laughs> so I can't fun. believe it's any good for your neck. Great trick, possibly, <laughs> but don't do too many. But it's so much fun. Like, do you know what? I'm beginning to suspect that you're not insufferably nice. I'm beginning to suspect it's this just is mis selling. Yeah. <laughs> what? Never. Just a clever marketing ploy. <laughs> so just to stick on that um, subject of challenges and the more difficult areas of comedy, mm-hmm. but to move on to writing rather than performing, what, mm-hmm. what do you feel are the challenges that women female writers face in the industry today one reason why I think it's a hard subject to talk from is that I feel very new to this as well for like the writing side as opposed to like the stand-up side I think there's always an issue of getting all stories told uh, and diversity within writing rooms or um, commissions and making sure everyone is represented and seen in the stories that we share mm-hmm. um and uh, that can come from many places I think from what I know from friends who are on the other side of emails when you send an email saying um I'd love to be involved in this project mostly it's (laughs) there are not obviously not everyone but a lot of the time there is we need to consider us as women us as women we need to be more like the men who puff out their chest and go actually I'm amazing and then have very little to prove for it but they just have the guts to do it whereas I find a lot of my friends women and not just women but they're people who go feel shy and embarrassed and don't want to force or maybe potentially feel unwelcome in a room because I think a lot of it's about do you feel comfortable to enter that space mm-hmm. and that could be one your experience but number two is that somewhere where you've been made to feel welcome or somewhere where you've been made to feel 
alienated or separate or like a token or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then on the on the flip side, what do you think the positives are in the industry or has what has the positive experiences you've had been like? For me, I guess, I, I think it's all the wonderful people I've met along the way. And like I said, a lot of my friends are the people who are... Uh, who talk back and fight back to people who they think aren't being fair to other people, aren't being... Uh, it sounds like you've good formulated people. a strong community as well. Yeah, a lovely little strong community of um, people who, yeah, want to make sure that everyone's stories are being shared, be it ours or other people's, and celebrating each other's successes. I've lived in a comedian ha- like household, so people who are creative and people who also do shows. Uh, one of us is a clown, one of us is stand-up, another person um, we've lived with, yeah, all, from all sort of genres of the comedy standpoint. Uh, we make a point of, we're not competing with each other for gigs or for things or opportunities. We celebrate each other because we're glad that one of us has got it or that... I think for that to be genuine is really special, isn't yeah. it? Because it's such a difficult industry in terms of that kind of thing with people competing with each other. Yeah, but we're all, we're all like, we give each other a little, like, flowers or cards or whatever, and we're happy about it. But whenever I've spoken to, not again, not again, all, but male comedians sometimes be like, oh, I don't want to live in a house with other comedians. Wouldn't you get jealous of each other? It's like, no, you would. We don't. <laughs> we're so happy for it. I really like what you're saying about women celebrating each other's successes yeah. and mm. picking each other up. I mean, that's what we're all about, Female Pilot Club. That's why we started it. Yeah. You know, so that we could show other women's work. We could say, look, this is great. Come and hear it. These scripts are out there and they're not getting a fair shout. You know, but I think women for a long time didn't do that or weren't encouraged to do that. Or they were just scared that it would be like, oh, women are just sticking up for each other. And, and you know, there would be a a kind of a label on you as the feminist clique or something. But I think younger yeah. women have just got rid of that, which is brilliant. Yeah, they definitely have. I think I think sometimes people just presume there's a competitiveness as well, don't they? Totally, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I think that's not true. No. But I do think there, there has been a lack of, just a lack of confidence to, as you said, to celebrate each other and to take the time to, to share each other's work and say, this is great, go and see it. Or, yeah. you know, look out for the female-directed films or the female-written sitcoms and say, oh, watch it, it's really good. You know, I think we should do that. I think people generally on social media, they vocalise that a lot more these days. You see Absolutely. it all the time and that just mm. encourages it more and more, doesn't it? So one thing I noticed, I listened to a set of yours um, on YouTube and I noticed that you it, you spoke a lot about mental health. Oh, okay, that one. Which I thought was, you know, I thought was very good, very funny. <laughs> yeah. But I just wonder whether that's a, a topic that you're really interested in. Do you want to, is that something that you want to get out there and talk about? Do you think people don't talk about it enough? What, what's your take on it? I mean, amongst my friends, mental health is so important. We uh, look at each other, look after each other in that way. My sister, actually, because I spoke to her, I talked to her a lot about how we... Uh, um how me and my friends communicate our mental health needs and things um and she's asked if I want to be like oh you should be like a spokesperson for mental health or whatever and I'm like no 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 (laughs) I don't want to quite do that I don't want to be so me and my friends have a really good way of uh we have we have all these like healthy boundaries well for like when we need to when we when we can give help to each other and when we can't uh and because we rely on each other a lot we also have a way of communicating what we need so we call it uh, for fuck's sake or FFS, which is facts, feelings or solutions. So, you know, when you're upset, when you're like really upset and you're you go to a friend and you're needing help. Um, 
my instinct whenever someone comes to me is always give them solutions to fix it but that might not be what you want. You might want to be like, oh, this has happened and it's awful. And for me to go, yeah, that does sound awful. I'm so sorry that happened for you and to give you feelings. Yes. Or you might want me to, you might be like, oh, this happened and I feel awful. You might want me to give you all the facts of the situation and be like, no, it's okay. What happened is that you went to that place, then this person said this, and then this happened, and now you've walked away. Everything's okay. Like, and you know, we're, Or you might want me to give you solutions to go, right, this is how we'll fix it. So we have like this own special way of communicating. And I think it's since that set, <laughs> which you referred to my own mental health journey and I think also the mental health journey of the uh, nation because since then we've had a pandemic and we've all had a shared trauma um, and there's so much more available and accessible in um, accessing your own m- um, mental health needs obviously the NHS is hugely stretched out thin and trying to seek help from them while it's excellent can be very challenging and difficult and there's much more emphasis on wellness and looking after yourself rather than this like burnout feeling of having to help everyone. I One of the things I'm, so the other show that I'm trying to write is about my OCD, um, but trying to present it in a way that people don't normally see because OCD is often presented as uh, a cleaning thing of like needing things straight and needing things clean. And uh, it's not all just that. There's also uh, intrusive thoughts. It's a huge element of OCD, but not really spoken about. And so uh, I'm trying to write this show, (laughs) which would be about um, intrusive thoughts, but also be, okay, it would be a mix between that. And then the thing that I grew up with was shows, well, films like Step Up, Step Up to the Streets and Honey, dance movies which I love. So I want to combine them because I think they're so opposite. It'd be wonderful to see them together. And for me, music is the way that I will block out intrusive thoughts if they come. Mm-hmm. In a way, I want to create something that expresses my things that, you know, you want to, we want to write things that we know and things that are important to us. But then also, I, uh, I don't... So, for example, I don't want this show, if I were to write about OCD, to only be about OCD and to just be a... In theatre, they call it um, a deadly theatre, where something is produced predominantly to just, like, be a stroke on the back, to be like, well done, us. Didn't we create a great thing? So Shakespeare's often... It's the easiest thing to make into deadly theatre because everyone goes, well done, we sat and watched a Shakespeare, but it wasn't necessarily good. So I don't want to make something for the sake of being like, look at me, I made something about OCD. Isn't that wonderful? I want it to generally be a good show, but also have a connection to something that affects me. Yeah, you just want it to be accessible for everyone and interesting for everyone, but at the same time about something that you're passionate about. Yes. Yeah, that (laughs) sounds like a great idea to me. And I really look forward to seeing that on telly in the near future <laughs> or at least a female pilot club reading <gasps> yes please oh, do you think it's really really important though that you mentioned that you did touch on writing about mental health and stuff because I think since the pandemic especially it is mm. such a prominent subject especially I think with a lot of creatives so mm. well done for doing that because I do think it matters it's really important yeah. but it's not just a pat on the back <laughs> no. What was, that, what was that term you said? Uh, deadly theatre. Deadly theatre. It's not deadly. Deadly, not deadly telly. 
Ruby, you are now, of course, in the Female Pilot Club, which is very, very exclusive. I don't know if you knew that. It's very exclusive. We don't just let anyone in. <laughs> we let everyone in. Everyone, everyone in. My mum, my aunt. We let everyone in. But what other great women of comedy would you like to nominate for membership? It could be a writer, producer, performer, or stand up from the history of comedy whose only crime was a lumpy jumper. <laughs> I guess the person I'm going to nominate, and this is the person who I'm currently bullying into writing, is Emily Bampton, who is a fantastic comic and uh, stand-up comedian who uh, we now are meeting up for doing writing, and she has an excellent script idea, but only let her in once she's written that first episode, which I'm forcing her to do. Emily, if you're <laughs> listening, open your laptop and get started, or you will never <laughs> be in the female pilot club. She's been told. Well, that sound means it's time for us to slip off our Harry Marys, hang up our froggles and head back to Civvy Street. Well, we'll be back to take another female pilot out of their comfort zone and up into the comedy twatosphere. I know what I mean, Emily. Thanks to our guest, Ruby Carr. And goodbye from Female Pilot Club. Okay. Goodbye. The joke's worth doing, Emily. Why not follow us at Female Pilot Club on Twitter and Insta? The script was written by Kay Stonham and the show was produced by Emily Chase and Kay Stonham. It was edited and technically produced by Adam Bromley with music composed by Tim Sutton. If you enjoyed the show, please do like, subscribe, share and review. Until next time, up, up and away. You can always